now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Lance Roberts, uh, Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning as well, talking a little bit about the Fed, the Fed pivot. Of course, will they, won't they, what does all this mean? We'll talk about the markets. But hey, good news is markets are really doing well here. You know, we've been talking about now for the last week or so about getting this buy signal in the markets, and that would suggest some higher prices to the market short term. Yesterday, market nice rally got above the 50-day moving average. That was that key first level of resistance, really, the markets needed to get through. Now, this clears the way, as we've been talking about, for this rally up to about 4,100. So that's kind of our next target here. Markets are looking to open up this morning. NASDAQ futures up about 70 right now. S&P up about 20, Dow up about 200. So looking to get some follow-through to yesterday's rally. Uh, interestingly enough, though, this has really been a story about something that we talked about early, uh, really kind of late last year and, and early this year is that, you know, if there is a point to where this market really begins to rally, it would be led by tech and technology in particular because if you're in an environment where you have disinflation, right, expectations for slower economic growth, expectations for disinflation or, or less inflation, I'd say, um, then marketers should naturally start to focus on areas of the market where companies can grow earnings even in a slower economic environment. Obviously, that comes into technology. And, and of course, since <clears throat> really since that part and since the beginning of this year, uh, this has really been a technology story. The, the, really, the, you know, we're back to the old Fang story, the Apple, the Microsoft, the Google, the NVIDIAs. Uh, those have really been leading the charge here this year and, and in fact have, have made up about half of the total gains of the markets have come from just those big 10 cap, those, those 10 mega cap companies. Uh, the NASDAQ yesterday now officially back into a bull market up 20% from its lows and actually uh, starting to challenge today. We're now going to break out of this consolidation range that the market's been in, uh, that the NASDAQ's been in really since February. Uh, the NASDAQ did sell off uh, in February, along with the rest of the markets, have had a very strong recovery here, much better than the S&P overall. Again, it's, it's all about technology. And now pushing up to set and, and break out of this consolidation range. And this is going to set the NASDAQ to move higher as well. Again, NASDAQ, like the S&P, on a buy signal here, not extremely overbought yet. So again, there's, there's fuel left here in this market to rally and as we wrap up the month, of course, today's the 30th of the month, right? So getting ready to wrap up the month of March, April right around the corner. And <clears throat> April and May tend to be two fairly seasonally strong months of the year. So as, and, and of course, those are also the last seasonally strong months of the year before we get into uh, end of summer months. So again, the, the bullish backdrop of the market certainly continues to stay here despite all of the you know, negative news, headlines, et cetera, lots of reasons to be concerned about the markets. We're going to talk about some of that stuff today with, with, with Mike. But 
you know, if you take a look at economic indicators, certainly suggesting on a wide variety of fronts that the economy is going to be weaker, earnings are going to decline. Those, those certainly should weigh on asset prices. But again, markets are, are really not focused on economics or fundamentals. It's about lower rates of inflation and ultimately the Fed pivoting. This is really what the focus of the market is and, and where this goes to from here. So again, while this doesn't necessarily mean the bull market is back and the bear market is over, it does suggest, though, that we're in a period here where markets could rally a bit more here over the course of the next couple of weeks. And this is what we wrote in last weekend's newsletter. Markets could rally for the next couple of weeks to next couple of months. That wouldn't be surprising at all, um, just how markets kind of work. And particularly now that we're getting kind of these buy signals put into place. And these buy signals are coming in at fairly low levels. So that also gives them some room to run that will allow markets to, to move to the upside a bit here. And this is why we've been adding exposure to portfolios here over the last couple of weeks. We may add some more today, depending on how markets work. But again, you know, the idea is to participate with these rallies. And then once these rallies get back to overbought, and again, because we haven't resolved a lot of the financial concerns, we haven't resolved a lot of the economic concerns. And, and so these markets are probably gonna be volatile all year. So it's going to be more of a year where we have to put on some exposure to trade to trade in advance, take it off as you get the next, you know, kind of next decline. Because at the end of the year, we may look back at this year and say, hey, we really didn't go much of anywhere. We went up and down a lot, didn't really make a lot of advance. That could really be the case this year. But we'll see. Again, markets are positive for the year, by the way. And, and again, like I said, uh, NASDAQ is certainly leading the way. Apple, Microsoft, Google, uh, these stocks have really led the charge across, you know, across most of the, the major markets and have really kind of, you know, been the, the major winners. And, you know, as you take a look at some of these stocks, particularly from the lows that we saw back in October, uh, very interesting. This is a chart of Apple. Um, going back to, you know, really the beginning of 2023, Apple has had a very, very large advance here. But, you know, it's interesting when we come back and we take a look at these stocks, there were a lot of these stocks were starting to bottom back in October. And so when we can't even take a look at the broader S&P 500, what there is is a, a clearly kind of an idea here that markets actually started their bottoming process in October Despite the fact that we've had all this ongoing concern about the Federal Reserve, about, about bank risk, et cetera, markets have continued to hold in there fairly well. So again, just it's always important, as we talked about before, yes, it's, it's important to pay attention to this economic data. It's important to pay attention to what's happening, right? The problem with trying to make a prediction and say, oh yeah, well, every time in history that this has happened, this has always followed it, that's okay to do that. The problem is, is markets can do a lot of things that are very different in the near term. And, and of course, betting on a particular outcome is always dangerous. And particularly in this environment, because we have so many differences in this environment versus what we had before, particularly when it comes to the passive indexing influence, right? There's so much money now that is just piling into ETFs. Every time a dollar goes into a triple Q ETF or, or a Spider S&P 500 ETF or into a mega cap growth ETF. All that money is funneling right into those top 10 mega cap stocks. That's what's, and that winds up distorting the markets because they have those particular stocks which are supporting these indexes are absorbing such a large chunk of the overall flows. And so this really kind of, you know, makes it much more difficult 
to make these predictions that, oh, this is happening over here and this always means the market does this. Be careful with that because, again, I'm not saying it's going to be different this time. I'm just saying things can do, the markets can do things differently in the short term. And so this is why, again, Mike and I have both talked about being audible, taking advantage of opportunities when you have them. But be aware of the risk. Don't ignore the risk because they're certainly there. But it's important not to make long-term bets on this outcome because we just don't know what that case is going to be. How much of the market's priced in of all this data already? Are earnings going to get better? Analysts right now ratcheting up earnings into 2024, expecting right now that earnings are going to go back to the peak of earnings in January of 2022 by the end of next year. Economic growth by estimates and economists starting to come up. Everybody's getting a much better outlook about the economy and the market's trying to start to factor those things in. So we'll talk a lot about that this morning along with the Fed, what this pivot might mean, when it might come, and what it does for the overall markets. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Long-term care may sound like a bore, but if you neglect it, you'll pay even more. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for our next Candid Coffee. Don't be foolish about long-term care. Saturday, April 1st. You may think you're prepared for long-term care, but you may be fooling yourself. Learn how to plan to protect yourself and your loved ones. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, Saturday, April 1st, realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.17 on this uh, Thursday, getting ready to second best day of the week, getting ready to wrap things up. Brent's dressed very nice today. You got something going on? You know, you've been wearing a lot of suits this year for funerals. Well, you get to a point where your friends start leaving. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When you're younger, you get dressed up for birthday parties. And weddings. And weddings, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now it's for departures. I I sang in so many weddings when we were all younger. Yeah. And now officiating at funerals. Well, it's hard to hear that. Somebody close? Friend? Um, elderly woman at church. Yeah. Yeah. So, God bless her. Yes. So. Thanks for asking. Uh, no worries. I just, when, whenever you dress up now, I know it's either <laughs> it's either business or a funeral. Or a job <laughs> interview. <laughs> exactly. That's not happening. <laughs> so, all right. A couple of things here. Uh, you know, as I was just talking here before the break, uh, markets are, you know, back into very much bull mode. NASDAQ in a bull market now, up 20%. And again, mostly led by these kind of big mega cap stocks. Um, a lot of this rally um, has been based upon this idea of a Fed pivot and that, you know, that as soon as the Fed starts cutting rates. And again, this isn't surprising, by the way. Um, you know, after 12 years of monetary interventions through, you know, quantitative easing and HAMP and HARP and TARP and, and, and Operation Twist and, you know, zero interest rates, 
we've trained investors that you know every time the Fed starts cutting rates and doing monetary you know easing, that you know stocks go up. And what we've now gotten into, and we've talked about this before, is that you know in 2020, everybody was chasing stocks because they were going up because it was the fear of missing out. What we've seen really since October is this fear of missing out on the bottom of the market. Because, well, if the Fed's going to pivot, then that means stocks are going to go up. I don't want to miss out. So everybody's been kind of piling back into stocks and, and running up the stock market in advance of the Fed pivot. So it's it's a very interesting conundrum. And then as we talked about in last weekend's newsletter, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And even though what the Fed is doing to support the banks is not technically QE, most market participants don't realize that all they know is is psychologically if the balance sheet is going up i need to buy stocks and since then stocks have been moving up so this is a this is the interesting conundrum that we face particularly going into later this year as i said you know um at the open tremendous number of indicators economic indicators suggest a recession is currently on the horizon we're gonna have an economic slowdown but yet earnings estimates are going up economic growth estimates for this year are going up. It's it's all quite confusing. Michael Lee Woods, welcome to the show this morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. So yeah, your uh, your uh, article on Tuesday talking a little bit about the Fed pivot and uh, your view is is that the markets may not like that. Well, based on history, they may not like it, right? Everything uh, these days is you know seems to be very different from what we've seen in the past. So maybe this time is different. Mm -hmm. But if we look back since 1970, there have been nine rate cuts of significance. There have been little minor rate cuts, but we we looked at the nine that have been more larger, 75 basis points or more rate cuts. And every single one of them from the start, when they first started cutting rates um, to the end, had a drawdown. Uh, not surprising. The average drawdown was about 21, 22 percent. I thought now I thought what was more interesting was that if you look at the data, the three most recent drawdowns, 2000, 2008 and uh, the pandemic 2020 mm -hmm. were all three were larger than average. And if you look at the prior six, only one was larger than average. So the, the question is, why why are the more recent ones and 2020 before we go into 2020 is a little difficult because it wasn't a typical recession. It was a pandemic. There was an instant shutdown of the economy in in recessions. Economies just don't shut down like they did. And it's certainly not as fast as they did. Well, it's also but not, the, it's also not man made. In other words, you know, we had right. politicians that not, said, hey, you can't go to work. That's very different than an economic recession right. that occurs of natural causes, right? Right. And the response was very uh, irregular. The, the massive amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus is pretty much unprecedented. But e even in that case, you know, we saw a 21, 22 percent drawdown. The other two, uh, 2000, 2008, were 40, 40 and 50 percent, if not a little more. Um, so the question is, OK, well, the Fed is going to pivot. That's a fact. Rates aren't staying up here. The economy can't withstand rates where they're at. So at some point, they're going to pivot. I'm not saying they're going to pivot tomorrow, and I'm not saying they're going to pivot a year from now, but at some point they will. And it probably is sooner rather than later. So, so what we did next was look at price to earnings, look at valuations. 
And what you notice is that we were using CAPE valuations, but since 2000, 2000, 2008 and 2020, they were all higher than average. And if you go back prior to 2000, they were all lower than average. So some of that helps explain why recent drawdowns are worse. Currently, CAPE is about 50% above the average. In both 2008 and 2000, in 2000 it went below average, 2008 it pretty much hit the average. So, you know, one concerning thing is, well, if it does go back to average, that's a 50% drawdown, and that assume, assumes earnings don't change. If earnings drop, it's potentially more. But, you know, will it go back to average? There's nothing assuring that. But the bottom line is, if the Fed pivots and if history is a good guide, we should expect a drawdown of sorts. Now, Lance, when we started looking at this data about a week ago, you said, yeah, but we're down about 20% uh, since the Fed started hiking rates. So have we kind of prepaid some of that? Have we already priced it in? So I looked at that as well. And, you know, the answer is a little mixed. So first of all, in rate hiking cycles, the maximum drawdown average is close to 10%. And we saw 20 plus percent, 25%, whatever it was, drawdown. So yes, there was a much bigger drawdown during a rate cut than what is normal, what is expected. But on the flip side of that is when the Fed um, was done cutting rates in 2020, in May of 2020, the year after saw a 50% increase. So that was a much larger gain than what typically occurs when the Fed stops cutting rates. So the bottom line is we're in a very volatile cycle. Uh, starting from the pandemic, volatility, not necessarily implied the VIX, but just the, the gains, the losses, and what you kind of just feel and sense has been much, much higher than normal. So as we kind of, you know, if the economy is going to fade here, if the Fed's going to pivot, if the Fed's going to raise rates, we should just expect more volatility. That doesn't mean down. That doesn't mean up. It just means a lot of the moves will be sharper, uh, stronger, and probably more emotionally based. Uh, similar to the rally that we're seeing now, it doesn't matter that there's bad news. The market's rallying for whatever reason. And, you know, we can describe quite a few reasons for the rally. There are technical reasons, fundamental reasons. Um, maybe, you know, the soft landing is back on the table. Um, so, again, like, like Lance, you said, audible is the key for this market. You know, be, be, get long when you need to get long, get out when you need to get out, and pay very close attention to your technicals. And at the same time, while you should have a very strong fundamental macro view, don't you know, you can't be wed to it. You have to you have to understand that in the short term, technicals tend to drive markets. Over longer terms, macros and fun, macro and fundamentals tend to kind of guide the way. But when you're when you're this volatile and returns can move around by as much as they do, technicals are a, a very handy tool to help you get long, to help you set stops, to help you manage risk. Yeah, and that's kind of an you know kind of an interesting thing because in this rally, you know the the it's been kind of an interesting rally all year actually because when you go back to last year, um, you know it was energy that led the market by a large degree. In fact, you know energy had a very big return last year while the markets were negative. This year is just the opposite. Energy is the laggard, and the, and the most hated companies, tech and communications, 
those are the most love. Everybody's piling back into that trade, assuming that, you know, last year's decline, that was the bulk of it. And and look, and a lot of and there's a lot of stocks out there, and you and I have talked about this before, especially if you look at the ARC you know, the companies in Kathy Wood's ARC ETF, et cetera. Those stocks were down 60, 70, 80, 90 percent. So, you know, people are, have been scooping those up, trying to find the bottom in a lot of these companies. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of there's a big difference between some of these companies. And when you start talking about fundamental values, even at 80 and 90 percent drawdowns, these companies were still expensive on a fundamental basis. But again, investors looking for that quick buck, and then we've you know we turned the, the markets into a lot of a casino over the last few years, you know looking for that quick buck, chasing a lot of these stocks. So, you know the area of the market that everybody hated last year is this year's most loved by a large margin, right? So, it, it's yeah. a very interesting change of view in just a very short period of time. Yeah, and the, the I think you know we we should talk more about this, but sector rotations are telling you the market may not be quite as bullish as the S&P, the NASDAQ, mm -hmm. and the Dow tell you it is. So yeah. you need to look under the covers and what the sectors are telling you. Yeah, no, that and that's absolutely right. And that we will touch on it when we come back from the break because, you know, as we start kind of looking where the market goes to from here, looking for, you know, again, you know, what's what potentially is going to be the better place to be in this rally, but also when what happens when this rally is over, where do you want to kind of be and how do you want to manage your portfolio? We'll talk about that after the break. I'm Real Sense Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning, of course. Don't go away. Be right back on The Real Investment Show. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Brent, does, uh, does your little doggy have a, a like an internal clock? <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, it's like 3 a.m. 3 a.m.? Saturdays and Sundays. Right, right. Oh, yeah. How about dinner? Uh, not necessarily. Because really? so my dogs have have an internal clock, and uh -huh. it doesn't matter. They even they even adjust for daylight savings time. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know how they do it, but they do. <laughs> but at four a.m. in the morning, and at four p.m. in the afternoon, that's dinner time, and uh -huh. they start they start going crazy, right? So yeah. they run around the house. They're as happy as they can be because it's time to eat. Well, so yesterday. I was in the office working, and uh, we had like a rainstorm blow through. Yeah. And apparently, I hadn't shut the back door of the house fully, and so the, it blew the door open. Yeah. And at some point, about mid-afternoon, this happened, and apparently, the dogs took themselves for a walk. So, <laughs> so about about three o'clock, I came downstairs to get a to get a cup of coffee, and I'm like, "Where are the dogs?" <laughs> 
can't find the dogs, right? So I get in the car, I start driving around the neighborhood. We live in a small little kind of enclosed neighborhood where we, where we are, but I couldn't find them. I was like, I don't know where they were. It must have run down into the woods or something. Yeah. Four o'clock, I hear feet coming. I left the back door open, but at four o'clock, feet coming back into the house, ready to be fed. Home again, home so, again. Exactly. So, it's just pretty amazing. I mean, they know exactly what time it is. Yeah. And even when we adjusted for daylight savings time, they moved it up. Yeah, my dog didn't get the memo on that. Really? Mm-mm. So that's why you're at three instead of yeah, four? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. morning. Every morning. Every morning last week while we were off. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, same at my house. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, a couple of things. So, just talking a little bit uh, before the break about the issue of of kind of this market where we are right now, and, and it's kind of this conundrum between very bullish technicals right now, um, and, and really, you know, despite all of the ongoing headlines and and videos and podcasts and you name it about the end of the world, doom and gloom, etc. The markets have been rallying since October. And, you know, despite all this, you know, markets have been improving and doing a lot better. And, you know, this kind of really flies in the face of all the economic data, right? So when we look at, you know, indicators, the the yield curve, the leading economic index, the six-month rate of change of the of leading economic index, um, uh, manufacturing indexes, um, you know, composite indexes, of economic activity, you know, all of these things are junk spreads, which are have been coming up. Not a lot yet, but they are starting to show signs of, of stress. And, and this recent banking crisis certainly not helping in that area as well. So, all of these indicators, and particularly like the yield curve, etc., are all screaming that we're going to have a recession. So, if we have a recession, earnings have to come down because economic growth is slowing. But yet, earnings estimates, as I said earlier are now expected to rise by almost 20% into next year. So there's a real dichotomy between, you know, what economists are thinking. Economists are saying, hey, we might we might have one quarter of negative growth this year, but we'll be growing by 1% to 2% by the end of the year. So economic growth is going up, right? So the very big dichotomy between what the markets are saying what analysts in Wall Street is saying and what the economic data is saying. And, and this is one of those challenges where you've got to pick a horse, so to speak, into which one will be right, ultimately. And because and, and th this has implications also on where to invest, right? So if you're going to have a recession, you don't want to be invested in small cap international or emerging markets because in an economic recession – the U.S. gets a cold, the rest of the world gets a flu because it's all trade-based and, and primarily emerging markets, as an example, heavily dependent on commodities. During a recession, demand is going to fall, commodities are going to come down, so I don't want to be there. Small cap companies have a lot more sensitivity to economic growth than big mega cap companies, so I don't want to be in small cap. But if we're going to have economic growth then I do want to be in those areas. So the, this is the, this is going to be one of the challenges for, for asset allocation over the, the rest of this year is where to invest based on this, this dichotomy of economic data versus economic expectations. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think the, the, the best way to talk about or the easiest way to illustrate this is what's going on between the NASDAQ and the Russell small cap index yep. this year. 
if you look, the Russell, which is small cap companies, is basically, I think it's what, up 1% for the year after being up decently in the first uh, first month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. The tech index, the NASDAQ, is up almost 20% for the year. A lot of those gains coming in the last month. So, so what's happened over the last three months? Well, we started the year with the soft landing, no landing narrative that the economy is going to be okay. Since then, we've had a banking crisis and we've had this idea of a Fed pivot. And we've also, and when I say we, it's the market, it's the economists, it's even the Fed are pricing in much slower growth to negative growth for the remainder of this year. The Fed in their uh, recent dot plot projections, pretty much knowing what we're gonna get in the first quarter, said that they expected uh, annual growth to be about 1%. In order to get 1% for the year, based on what we think we know for the first quarter, there's gonna be a negative quarter. That's just the math behind it. Uh, A lot of economists are saying the same thing. So the market's rallying. Why? What's driving the market? Every stock doesn't go up and down the same percent every day. There's a huge divergence every day between winners and losers or those that are really winning and those that are barely eking out gains on up days, for instance. So we use uh, within SimpleVisor, we have tools that allow us to compare each sector and we do it for factors as well. So small caps, growth, dividend, value. We use uh, about 15 or 20 factors doing the same analysis. But what we do is we compare each one to the S&P and we use uh, a multitude of technical analysis on it to tell us how strong it is versus the S&P or how weak it is versus the S&P. And we've seen a profound shift over the last month in the indicators. So this morning, for instance, technology and communications are far and away the most are the far and away the strongest sectors. And the thing you got to remember with both of those sectors is that there's a few stocks that drive them. In technology, it's Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia. Uh, in communications, it's really Google and Meta, which a lot of people would argue are tech companies. Um, and what we've seen are at the beginning of the year, the industrials, the materials, transportation led the way. They're now falling all the way back. The two worst, the two most oversold sectors or the worst performing are real estate and financial. Now they both have issues to deal with. Financials are obvious, but real estate too has to borrow at higher rates. We're seeing problems in commercial real estate. So those are you know, those are kind of one-off situations, but when you start looking at the map, you're, we've been watching staples. Consumer staples is the third most overbought uh, sector at this point. We've seen utilities come up. We've seen healthcare come up. All three staples, uh, utilities, and healthcare were at the were the most underperforming, the most oversold. So, so if you were just looking at our sector rotation, you would say it's starting to price in less of a recovery and more of a recession. And that can be true. We can have a rally as the market prices in recession because with recession comes lower rates. So as we think about what it's telling us, it guides us on how to invest. So you want to think about companies that benefit from lower rates. 
You want to also think about companies that aren't overly cyclical, meaning that they're not tied to the economy. So a McDonald's, for instance, will do well regardless. Uh, Apple will continue to sell phones. Microsoft will continue to do what it do, does. Microsoft and Apple are not heavily debt dependent. They have plenty of cash. They don't need to access the debt markets or to borrow money. Small cap companies tend to be very economically sensitive. They are heavily reliant on debt. We know about 20% of them are zombie companies, approximately 20%. That means they basically cannot pay their interest expense without borrowing money. They're not making enough money to pay the interest on their debt. They, they don't have a choice but to borrow money. So if the lending standards tighten up and banks decide they're not going to lend to lend as much money, they're at risk. So, you know, not looking at the charts and just looking at the rotations confirms to some degree the recession scenario, but in an interesting way and in part because technology and communications are the largest sectors and account for the biggest part of the S&P, we're seeing a rally. But under the cover, there's not a rally in every sector. Again, the, Rus the Russell is up 1% for the year. The Nasdaq's up 20%. So, you know, th there's different narratives, different stories based on what you look at. So you just can't assume the market's not pricing in recession. It's just pricing it in in a different way than most people think about it. Exactly. So quick break, we'll come back, uh, shift gears just a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the dollar and a couple of stories that are coming out, have people running around, you know, screaming the sky is falling. Uh, so we'll talk about the dollar and, of course, uh, what some of these headlines mean and why they're occurring. So don't go away. We'll talk about that right after the break. Don't go away. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome welcome back to the show this morning michael leibowitz joining me headline out this morning france buys sixty-five thousand tons of lng from china in first ever yuan denominated trade i also got a text last night from a friend of mine talking about Brazil, also talking about doing transactions with China in the yuan versus the dollar. Of course, this has everybody running around with headlines, and trust me, they'll be podcast out talking about the end of the dollar. It's here. It's now started. Okay, first of all, slow your roll a little bit. These are you know these are you know one-off transactions at the moment right now, and and yes, could these grow into more transactions of people trading commodities and other things off the dollar and into yuan or the Brazilian real or the Russian ruble, you know, whatever. Sure. And why wouldn't it? When you aggressively go after China, 
constantly. You know, we're trying to right now we're trying to pass a ban on TikTok. We've, you know, have been trying to limit trade. We've been, you know, uh, going after them in terms of their stance regarding Taiwan, et cetera. I'm not saying any, anything's are wrong, right? But if you keep attacking a country, they're going to go, I'm going to do something different, right? And then there's also the, the point that we have a very strong dollar relative to other currencies, which makes things more expensive. So first of all, you've got inflation, and then if you're transacting goods or transacting business in a weaker currency relative to the dollar, that is adding to inflation. We talked about, you know, yesterday my son and his salary in the UK versus the US, right? So, you know, when you have a much stronger dollar, that impacts the inflationary problem in those countries as well. Look, and they're they're trying to run their their economies, right? So if I can transact business in a different currency, I can eliminate some of that dollar strength issue and get what I need at effectively cheaper costs, right? So I can bypass some of that inflation because of currency exchange. So again, you know, while these are very interesting, and again, LNG, right? What's going on with Europe right now? They can't get, you know, they couldn't get enough LNG last year because of the whole Russian pipeline situation, et cetera. So they need they need access to LNG. My wife sells LNG. They export constantly overseas. We export more LNG than we use domestically now. So, you know, it, it's important, you know, that these things are happening and we need to be aware of them. But this goes back to the point of what we we're talking about earlier. Don't take a headline and then just at that point say, oh, I got to get out of the dollar now because the dollar is going to hell in a handbasket because France is doing this deal with China and you want. It's sure. Will the dollar eventually lose its reserve currency status? Possibly one day, maybe. Sure. I'm not I'm not saying it can't happen. The question you've got to ask yourself is, does the world want to trade with China and the yuan? Right? The, you've got to have a few things with currency. First of all, you have enough depth of the currency to handle trillions of dollars worth of transactions every year. And B, you've got to have some stability. And is is the is the China Chinese yuan really the country you want to be dealing with currency in? Yeah, U.S. has its problems, but out of all the other countries in the world, it's probably still the safest and deepest currency out there. And we still have some remnants of rule of law if we keep eroding that as well. So, but a lot of these points, as we're talking about this morning, why countries are starting to move away from the dollar on transactions is because of inflation and because of our actions. And, you know, we act like we can have these actions against other countries without consequence. Well, this is the consequence. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, you said it well, Lance. Look, the, the U.S. dollar is and will slowly lose its power in the world. But the problem all these other countries face is there really is no alternative. If if we, if a country wants to trade with China, it's going to be largely barter based. So if you look at the, the recent headlines with Brazil and China, it's more of a barter deal than it is a traditional kind of currency deal where one country buys something from another country and there's not reciprocal trade. The problem with dealing with China or dealing even with Europe or, or most other countries is that in order, if we wanted to buy 100 tons of steel a month from China, we have to have, 
We have to own yuan, the currency. We have to put it in a bank. And those funds, ideally, we would like to have invested to earn some kind of return. Well, like you said, Lance, there is no rule of law in China. There are no li liquid markets in China. So people are freaking out over Silicon Valley Bank and some of these First Republic <laughs> and all these other banks where we have a rule of law and we have an FDIC backing their deposits. Now take that over to China where you have none of that. And there's nothing that says the Chinese cannot just take your money any day. Um, and it makes it a, you know, doesn't mean that we can't buy 10 tons of steel and yuan, but it does preclude us from just moving our whole economy into a system where we're just buying everything from them. Right. Yes, on the mar you know, on the margin, we will see some countries, especially those uh, anti-American trying to switch. But even them, even them, even trade between China and Russia will still involve dollars because they have these same similar problems where they don't really trust each other. They may be friends, but they don't trust each <laughs> other. And then, Lance, the, the other thing is, look, whether these countries like it or not, we are the dominant military power. So countries that depend on us and, you know, that includes all of Europe and many other countries have no choice but to use the dollar, because if they start doing this, we're going to say, fine, go fend for yourselves. Right. What yeah. would happen if Ukraine had a fend for themselves right now? I'm not sure it'd be as good as it's going right now. Yeah. So what is Ukraine going to say? We're going to start using Chinese yuan or Russian rubles or even, you know, European euros. No, they don't have a choice anymore. They need our protection. Right. And, and it's and, and again, you know, and, and the real and the real thrust of this. And, and again, because the reason I brought this up this morning, because I'd already just since this article came out last night, I've already received like 50 emails of people going, you know, how are we going to get out of the dollar? And I'm like, we're not. <laughs> because, again, just, you know, look, these are important events. I'm not saying that this isn't an important event. And, you know, what's going on with the markets is an important. What's happening with banks is uh, are important events. And we need to pay attention to these. We, not, we need to be educated and informed and knowledgeable and understand what the, the risk and the consequences are. But the problem of taking a headline or an event and then extrapolating that out into the demise of the U.S. economy into basically becoming, you know, the next, you know, third world country. You know, is that going to eventually happen someday? Yeah. I mean, you know, you take a look at what's going on right now in the country politically and I, I, I you know, I, from ideologies, et cetera. It doesn't look great. I'll give you that. Right. Um, but. It doesn't mean that's going to happen tomorrow, and it doesn't mean that at some point we can't realize that we're being stupid, and then we all get back together on the same page and we start growing the economy again, and and doing things that are that are better for everyone. And and that's been the history of the United States. We go through these periods, you know. We act like this period that we're in right now, with this big divide between the right and the left, is the first time that we've had a young generation be complete idiots. We had it back in the '60s during the Vietnam War. Right. We had this very same thing going on, people spitting on people and rioting and protesting and being stupid. And then after the Vietnam was over, we all went, OK, that wasn't a great idea. Let's get back on track. And we got the economy growing again. We'll go through this period. We'll get out of it on the other side and, and we'll learn from it and we'll move forward. Hopefully, hopefully we do that. The consequences aren't good if we don't. And I'll give you that. 
But again, going back to investing and managing our money right now, we, we have to deal with the now. We can't deal with what might happen in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years. I'm not going to be around that long. I have what we have to do for our clients and for money and for the markets is deal with what the markets are doing now. Deal with what the markets are telling us now. Be aware of these issues, but don't let it drive your investment philosophy because, again, making a bet on something that might not happen for 10 years or 20 years, you might ultimately be right. And you might bet on the end of the dollar, you know, and it happens 20 years from now. But in the meantime, you've lost so much money in terms of opportunity waiting for that crash to ultimately happen that you're no better off anyway. So just something to think about. Mike, uh, we got about a minute to wrap up. Any concluding thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, just kind of along the same theme of the day, watch the market, watch your technicals, but also watch what's going on underneath the market, which stocks, which sectors are doing well, which factors are not doing well. And don't just immediately draw conclusions about the market and use your technicals. I think they're very important right now to use them to both gain exposure, to reduce exposure and to put in stop losses. Um, this is going to be a tricky year. We've said that from January 1st and we'll probably continue to say it maybe even into next year. So just you know, keep your head on a swivel. There you go. All right. Uh, be sure by the website. Michael's article is out on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our three, our what we call, uh, now, it used to be three minutes of markets money. Now it's called Before the Bell. So make sure you subscribe to that channel as well. We now have two YouTube channels. We have Before the Bell, which is our three minutes on markets and money every day. And we have this channel. So make sure you subscribe to this channel. Click the little icon there. Subscribe. Also click that little red bell icon. We appreciate it. We need the followers. Keeps us on the air. So we need your help. But also subscribe to Before the Bell so you get that link every day. Uh, and because that's where we go through the markets, the update, tell you what to expect for the day. Try to help you navigate the markets a little bit better for your money. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Newsletters, daily market commentary. It's all there, all to help you manage your money. And best of all, it's free. See you tomorrow on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day.